Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Well, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, I've heard this so many times over the years, how, you know, a lot of people are in the stage of their life where they just, I just want profound theological deep truth from the scripture and I just want this big revelation I want history I want you know just give me some beautiful information that's just gonna make me feel excited about learning especially if you're a learner that's what you love you want to learn and so I think there's nothing better than than breaking it down Uh, Jesus actually broke it down so simply when the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees came up to him and they were trying to actually catch him out on the law because there were so many laws that they couldn't actually keep the law themselves. The Jewish uh, uh, culture had added all these different laws, um, and they were threatened by Jesus, and hence why they put him on a cross. But before that, they were trying to catch him out so that they could accuse him of something. And so here he was, um, being asked these questions, well, hey, what's the greatest law? You know, what is the greatest commandment? And this was Jesus' response in Matthew 22. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so they realized this Jesus guy is, is making ripples. He's causing uh, these religious organizations to be silenced, meaning they didn't know how to respond to him. They were, they were kind of blown away in a little bit. Um, and one of them, an expert in the law, so they, they knew their stuff. They were the, theologically astute. They, they knew what they were talking about. They studied this probably their whole life. Asked the question to test him, thinking we're going to catch this guy out. He's not as smart as us. We've been studying the scriptures for so long. And then they probably found a lot of value in how smart they were and how, how versed they were. And that was what they seen religion to be. Hey, God loves me because I know X, Y, and Z. God loves me because I go to the temple this many times a week. God loves me. And it was all really by works when you break it down. And so they said, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? So Because they thought if we can get him to submit to this question, we'll probably be able to catch him out as we compare and contrast different laws. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So it was nearly as if they were trying to put him into the box around rules and regulations, and it was as if Jesus just actually exited outside of that framework and, and decided to get to the root of the problem, which was, wait a second, the whole point of the law, the whole point of God's ways were to, to build a functional relationship with him, to, to live the life that he had called you to live, designed you to live, and so he nearly came out of the whole law system and say, listen, the main point is to have your heart connection with God in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. But watch this. He says, that's the first thing you need to do. But he says, this is the greatest and the most important command. Everyone say command. Okay, now say it like you mean it. Command. The second is is like it. Love your neighbor. Everyone say neighbor. Dear goodness, hard crowd this morning. Everyone say neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws 
and the prophets depend on these two commands. Meaning, these come first before the law. If you can accomplish this, the laws won't really matter because you'll accomplish them anyhow. He got to the root cause. He, he, he answered the real question that they were really asking. And so, if you want to get theological, if you want profound, let's look at, let's dig into a little bit to what Jesus is saying about the greatest commandments of all. To love him and to love others or love our neighbor. So I want to talk about that this morning. Now, I want to frame it correctly because so often um, we can kind of say love God, love people, and that's kind of by itself can look a little bit fluffy in practice. It can look like just like be nice to people and say hello if they walk past you or, you know, on the front end, it doesn't feel very deep. But if we frame it correctly, the way Jesus has framed this while he was on the earth, the first, uh, the mission that God gave us through Christ was the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, first and foremost, was to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the frame. That's the mission. You know, as a church, we have a mission, and then we have methods in how we execute that mission. So, so number one, we have a co-mission, a mission that we're on board. This is what we're trying to do, trying to make disciples. So that means we need to teach. That means we need to preach. That means we need to correct. That means there needs to be discipline. That means we need to, to, to look at the, the full spectrum of Scripture. And then secondly, how we do that is the great commandments, is we love God and we love people. So there's a mission, and how we execute the mission is through the commandments, which is there's something within loving God with all of your, your heart, your mind, and your soul that empowers you to love your neighbor. And if I'm honest, when I read the kind of love God, love people, I think you hear it so often or so broad that you kind of, it can become very meaningless or, or so broad, there's, it's not very precise, or so broad you actually don't know where to start. Or like, love the world around you. Well, it's so broad. So many options, like where do you start? And I think that there's something in this loving your neighbor thing that, that Jesus is trying to tell us. That's, I'd say a lot of us have just kind of, it's like a blanket statement. We've just kind of put it down as, oh, it's someone at work or it's just someone uh, that I meet random in the street. It was made it like a blanket, uh, pluralized idea that is very hard to follow because it's not very precise. It's not like a bullseye. It's just kind of like throw the net out and hope for the best. And in doing so, sometimes what happens when we don't have a target, we kind of don't achieve anything. You know, a lot of you have probably tried to lose weight and you've tried to maybe get fit and you just had the general concept, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to lose weight. And you, just, you tried generally just, I'm going to eat better this week, but you never really thought about the details. You never really recorded anything. Well, my wife's at a little local gym, and, and now she's laser-focused. Holidays are coming up, and she's weighing stuff. <laughs> the grams, she's scanning things to see how many calories there are. Who knew that mayonnaise had 150 calories per scoop? That Polish mayonnaise? Come on, our Polish people. That Polish mayonnaise is beautiful, but it's a moment on the lips. <laughs> lifetime on, a lifetime on the... Um, 
So she's starting to get laser focused. And now because of that, there's impact. It's actually starting to work. And I think the same way we talk about love God, love people. It's so general. It's good intentions. It's so broad. But it often doesn't come to anything. We often don't see any results. And so what happens, we go to church, we go to worship, we go to all these different things, and we never have a laser-focused idea of what we're actually doing. And so therefore, nothing actually happens. You know what actually ends up happening? The Great Commission starts to become the Great Suggestion. It's just a good idea. I just like it. And in practice, it's just a great suggestion. And if we're honest, a lot of us live like the Great Commission is just a great suggestion. It's kind of an option. But actually, if you look in the Scriptures, it's not an option for a Christian, a Christ follower. It's, it's a commandment. This is the mission. If you're a Christ follower, this is what we do. It's not a feeling. It's not an idea. And obviously, the rest of the Scripture in the New Testament especially is about building the local church and what it looks like and what's framed like and keep the Sabbath day holy. Come on, that's a good place to start. You know what that means? What kind of question does that ask? It asks, what is your Sabbath day like right now? Do you prioritize God? Do you, prior, do you take time to stop? Do you take time to put God first, to spend time with Him? Do you, do you prioritize church? Do you prioritize the gathering of the saints? Do you, it's a good place to start. But it's a great commission. It's not a great suggestion. It's a, these are great commandments to love God and to love, us, love people. So I want to start off uh, with the first principle, the proximity principle. Um, so this word, in the original root form, it's, I don't even know how it's pronounced, but it looks like plesion. Um, this word neighbor actually just means neighbor. It means near. Somebody that is nearby. And I think if you're like me, you've probably assumed when we think about neighbor, oh, that's just like the person at work that I sit beside. That's just like, and listen, all those things are good. Or it's just the person that I meet at, you know, at, the, uh, at the sporting event or the family event or whatever. And I think, yeah, to a certain extent, that's true. But I find that what often happens is we kind of look towards those people in the outside of the near circle. And the people that are actually living beside us, we kind of forget about because I'm reaching the people outside at work and, and, and are we really even having a conversation? Are we even really praying for those people? And so I wonder if we started to, to hit the reset button on loving your neighbor, because listen, if we want profound, if you want deep, if you want something that's actually going to impact the world, maybe we need to listen to what Jesus said about loving our neighbor. He put it in the top two categories of commandments, not options, not suggestions, commands. It literally means your neighbor. What if the person that lives beside you actually, what if that person was ordained by God to live beside you? What if God is so sovereign that he knew that he needed you to live there so that you could be a witness, a light in that place? Well, actually, the Scripture leans into that and says that is actually the case. That God does know. And He did plan you to live exactly where you live or where you're going to move to. And yeah, you had your own plans, but God had others. And I wonder if we could start to get on board with this idea that loving your neighbor isn't just this broad 
plural, just kind of idea, but it's actually specific. It's planned, it's sovereignly motivated by a God that made the universe. And there's some interesting things I want to share with you just to, to show you how important I believe it is. There's a story in the Bible, and this is when Jesus is trying to explain in Luke the idea of loving your neighbor. And a lot of you know this story. There's actually Charlie's name uh, named after this story, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. What was it? What was happening? Well, what was happening was there was a man who was attacked by robbers. He was stripped. He was on the side of the road. And we see a priest, <laughs> a religious figure, go past this man and ignore. And kind of blind himself, probably too busy to stop. Too much work maybe edified his own spiritual walk as, as more important than I have people to pray for in public and I've got roles to do in the church. And listen, we can criticize that all day, but let's be honest, I've been there. I've done that. I've fallen short in that way. We see a Levite pass without helping him. We see all these people pass for various reasons. But I wonder if they could truly understand what Jesus meant when he said to love our neighbor. Would they have realized, whoa, neighbor is literally what, who is nearby, who is beside me right now, who is, who is literally living beside me, who's in the room next door. If we started to think that way, maybe they would have had a different mentality. If they started to realize it wasn't an option, but it was a command, maybe they wouldn't just let things slide into this kind of, this massive picture of loving the world. You hear those little sayings as you're growing up, you know, you can't change the whole world, but you can change the whole world for one person. And I think it's the same mentality that Jesus is trying to get across when it talks about leading. He's talking about loving your, your neighbor. He's saying, listen, just go with who's in your hand, who's nearby, who's beside you. Stop trying to save the whole world or the whole town or the whole city. Those statements are great. They're amazing. They're exciting, but do they have impact? I think that's where it's dangerous as a church if we just try to like, we're going to reach all of Craig Avon or Belfast or Northern Ireland or Ireland or whatever. And that's a nice, fun idea. But what are we doing in the nearby's? places and with our actual neighbors, with our actual family. I think the true impact happens when we get the near right, and I think the rest looks after itself. And I think, yes, we should have vision, and all those things are great. But Jesus has got something profound in this, and he's trying to get the point across that, listen, your answer to reaching the world is not found in just having blanket statements. It's found in the nearby, in the neighbors, and the people who are actually living right next door. Can I get an amen? So maybe the answer that you're looking for that God wants to give you is right beside you, right in front of you. Maybe what, I remember someone telling me this, that if you want world-class leaders, they're not found, they're made. What's the principle? The proximity principle in this situation is it's right beside you, it's in your hand right now but you've got to invest correctly because the lazy way is just to hope that someone just arrives and you don't have to do anything. Someone else does the hard work and disciples and invests and coaches and, 
and goes through the ups and goes through the downs. But God's way is actually, no, you, you get in the mix of people's lives. You go through the highs with them. You go through the lows with them. And that's where we find God's best in our life. And so we see here, the scripture is emphasizing the importance of where you're placed, of where you're seated. And yes, work does count, and yes, all those things do count. But I think, let's get the first step right, which is who are we living beside? Because as far as I can see within the scripture, God knew all about it before you did. This is so interesting. There was, a, there was research done by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Outliers. He told a story of a village in a place called Rosetto, a town made up entirely of citizens who came from a village of Rosetto in Italy. Intrigued by the extremely low incidence of disease in Rosetto, including no coronary artery disease in anyone younger than 55, come on, who wants to live in Rosetto? <laughs> And this is what's really interesting about this. This is a proper reason. You can, you can look this up. I, I actually had to check it just to make sure. Um, medical researchers were so blown, around, blown away by the medical results of this place that in the 1960s, they dedicated themselves to studying this outstanding results. Now, here's the, the weird thing about this uh, small town or village was that the people that lived there, their dads, their exercise, their smoking and their obesity were no different to those that lived around them. It was all the same. They were expecting to find, like, right, they're not, they're eating, their dad's completely different. They're just eating lettuce. Or, or maybe they're, they're all gym freaks and they just are constantly working out. But they found that actually people that lived a few cities away or a city away were doing exactly the same. They had the exactly same lifestyle as they had. But they had three times, People who lived further away had three times worse results in different parts of the country in regards to disease. So they, conducted, they concluded that the extra, extraordinary health of this unique po population could only be explained in terms of extended family and community. They found their dads weren't any better, but their connections to their neighbors were profound. And so they actually lived longer. So random, but so obvious that these researchers actually done a proper research project on this population and found the only thing that they had with it was that they, they learned to love their neighbors well. That the connection that they had with the community was so unique that it had done something. The only reasonable explanation was it was linked to the connections in which they had. And so I guess the question I have is maybe, just maybe, God knows what he's talking about. When Jesus spoke to us and said, you need to love me and you need to love your neighbor. Maybe it's not just pie in the sky. Maybe it's something that affects the actual core of our being. This is what I've learned as I've trusted God in different areas of my life is that as much as there's fear at the front end or there's nervousness or, or trust in God in certain areas of your life can sometimes be a little daunting. At the back end, there's always life. There's always health. I'm healthier 
I'm a healthier version of myself. I, I actually get, I have something to get excited about. This lines completely up like a glove fit with the way I'm designed as a human being. That God's way, even though it looks like waiting sometimes, is the right way all the time. And as we see here in this example, there's something about loving your neighbor, and it's not just a blanket statement and a good idea. It's something that gets into your, your being that actually makes you healthier as a person. And maybe as community, even as a church, we're not supposed to just rub shoulders. We're supposed to be involved. We're supposed to learn to have awkward conversations and get through the good and the bad and journey and grow. And how can iron sharpen iron if we're never in touch? Something in this that we need to press into, it says in Acts 17, verses 24 to 20, 27, Paul's speaking to philosophers in Athens. He says, He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not, does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he, the God who made, needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every, every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and their boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Did you catch that? He decided the boundaries of where they would live. God is not surprised where you live. God might even have a plan for where you live. And in that plan comes blessing. God's not out there just to make us work. I don't think so. I don't think he's just there just trying to make us work for him. But I think what's intertwined as we do his commands and we obey his ways, I think there's blessing, there's favor, there's health. All those things come with it as we trust God. Come on, has anyone in here ever trusted God in something and realized in the long run that, whoa, God's ways are better than my ways, that my plans didn't get me too far? I got excited at the start, and then it soon flopped. Number two, the kindness principle. What does it mean to love our neighbor? We kind of talked about that throughout the week on Wednesday and, and last week. But what if God's calling us to invest into our neighbors, to sacrifice for our neighbors, to show kindness of God to our neighbors? The Bible says to love our neighbor as who? As we love, love ourselves. You know, we love ourselves so much that we worry about this tiniest detail. Where we can overthink things. Why? Because we're so obsessed about us. What if it doesn't work out for me? And we're going through scenarios in our head over and over and over. Why? Because we care about me, about us. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you can learn to love your neighbor and get up in their business and care for what they care about and what they're thinking about and what they're processing, there's life in it. There might be a little stress in it, but ultimately there's life and there's health in it. And it's the cycle in which God has designed for life to function through. See, the people around you matter immensely to God. Or if they didn't, he wouldn't have said to love your neighbor. 
You see, the, the Good Samaritan is a great example of how someone who had no obligation really from a society point of view to love this person, they weren't obliged, but they decided to love the person that was near, that was in need, that was in help. And listen, it was going to be inconvenient. It was going to take probably the rest of their day or week up. <clears throat> but as we've seen through that story and that research is that there's something in loving your neighbor that we sometimes don't understand. And it goes beyond our understanding. God's doing something beyond what we would do. And it's a command. So I wonder what, ha what would actually happen if we got out of the kind of blanket statement type of Christianity and just kind of go to church and keep yourself to yourself and just don't get into connect, don't get into connect groups. And I wonder what would happen if we got rid of that and started to actually get involved and be vulnerable, pray for people, listen to people's needs, pray about how you can help get into connect groups, encourage one another, be devoted to the community of faith that God has designed us to be a part of, be sacrificial with it too, because there's no other way that it can work. What if we started to do that? What, what kind of example would that set for our children, for the next generation? What kind of impact would that have on the family unit? What kind of impact would that have in our extended family who, who don't yet not know, know God? We started to actually maybe share our story with the person that lives next door and also meet practical needs through kindness. But, but listen, remember this, love God, love people is wrapped around the Great Commission, which is to go forward and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that means we're not just loving and being kind and that's full stop. That's the hook that's the way to build relationships so that then one day we can actually share our story, invite them to church. Actually realize that we're loving people for a purpose of mission. And it's not a great suggestion, it's a great commandment. And so I guess the question is, where do you think you're at when it comes to the great commission and God's commandments? What would the Holy Spirit say to you today? Where can you take that step forward and take it serious that it's not just a suggestion, but God has required that of us. And when we do it, there's great benefit. There's great blessing. God's way brings fruitfulness to our lives, brings joy to our lives. And once you start to get up in someone's business in a good way, there's a reason for faith then. You need God to intervene. You need God's help. You might worship difference, differently on a weekend. You might pray differently during the week. I guarantee you will. So we have the proximity principle and we have the kindness principle. Live and love where you live. Last week we spoke about use what you have, just whatever's practical. Invite someone to church, share your story. You don't have to be a theologian to love God, to love people. But I think it's so important that we wrap all of this around the commission that God has called us to. And if we want to truly find the life, you know, we love to quote, you know, Jesus, you know, God came to bring life and life more abundantly. Um, in Ephesians 3 and 20, God can do exceedingly 
abundantly above all that we might think or ask. We love to quote these verses, but those verses are all in the context of the Great Commission, in the context of loving God and loving people. It's not just a kind of blanket statement. That you just, I'm going to live, going to live for myself. I'm going to just kind of be nice to people, and then that's me living the life Christ has called me to. No, that's that's actually not it. Because that life is found in the commission and the mission that God has sent us here on the earth to fulfill. And the methods in which God has called us to use is to dedicate, to surrender, to fully trust God with all of our heart, with our mind, with our soul. Yes, we receive His presence and His love, but we also just worship God because He is God and because He is above all and because He is mighty to save and because we need forgiveness for our sins and, and all of those things. So we're going to go into a time of response. We're going to just pray right now and we're going to come back after we sing a song and just ask for response and invite the Holy Spirit just to come and move in us. Not, not what I said, but what the Holy Spirit is saying as we present His Word, we present His mission, we present His call. I wonder what God will want to say to you specifically as, as an individual about your neighbor, about those people who are nearby. God has not called you just to, to lukewarmness. Lukewarmness isn't, isn't fun anyhow. It's awkward. God, God has called His church to get hot. To receive the call which can be heavy unless we cast it upon the Father. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.